asked you this the other night, but how do you define love? I think that it is about actions. Like I said before, it comes down to wanting, you know, how you feel for the other person. You know, do you want to take care of them? Do you want to show up for them? Do you want to, like, make their life easier? Like, do you, I, I think it's... And then just how you do it. Like, how, how do you love someone? Other than by, like, taking care of them, being empathetic, listening to them. I had a philosophy professor who talked about how we seek romantic relationships because we want a witness to our life. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes sense. I mean, we want someone to hear about our day not Mm -hmm. the stuff that's important enough to like make a big announcement about or like exciting news but just like oh man I was driving home today and I saw a really cute dog you know like Mm -hmm. your partner is typically gonna be like oh that's great you know like Mm -hmm. love a cute yeah love a cute dog whatever like Mm -hmm. and it's so it's just like it's connection so I think it's kind of two different things. Like, it's it's the way you feel about someone, but it's also how you are with them. Like, what? how do you treat them? How do you show up for them? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. What do you think? I think for me, like, starting with family love, I think that probably varies from culture to culture. I come from a culture that isn't particularly lovey-dovey or affectionate Mm -hmm. and so love looks like making sure you've eaten it it pretty much looks like bringing you food (laughs) love looks like bringing you food or cooking you something or making sure you have what you need Mm -hmm. or just making sure you're not going without in any way can relate to that i feel like that's one of the main ways that i show my care for someone is to feed them think that's a big thing in a lot of cultures and as I get older and work on my trauma and my own personal growth and healing there are a lot of things that I thought were love within my family structure but actions didn't always line up with words and I think I carried that into my first few like adult romantic relationships thinking that what I was doing was love but it probably wasn't enough for my partners at the time. And I've also started to think more over the years of what what love, like what do I need in terms of love? Like what does that act, what actually feels good to me when someone says they love me? What do I need to see in order to feel loved other than just hearing the words? Mm-hmm. And like I don't want to be one of those people that completely invalidates every relationship I've ever been in because I'm happy now, mm-hmm. you know? I will say, honestly, this is probably the healthiest relationship that I've been in and the happiest I've probably been in a relationship. And I don't think that's just like a honeymoon phase thing. I think that's true because this is my first unmasked relationship. Mm-hmm. So there's something to that. Yeah. I don't want to say all my past relationships were bad, but they weren't good. (laughs) And also, like, 
You learned from them. I learned from them. And I have to consider the fact that all my past relationships were straight ones. I'm not straight. I never have been. I just didn't know until recently. All my past relationships, I was masking as a neurotypical person. I'm not. I'm neurodivergent and I'm autistic. I didn't know that at the time. I was navigating relationships under the weight of patriarchy and internalized misogyny and like the force of combat. So what did I, what did love really look like for me under the weight of all of those things? And so many things I did not understand or know about society or know about myself. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, those relationships weren't great. And love can probably look funky with all of those things at play at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about this the other day because, you know, it is interesting to be someone's first like queer relationship in some ways it can be like depressingly easy to impress you (laughs) yeah (laughs) just by like checking in with you and how you're feeling talking about feelings but I was thinking about like the sex that we have and the sex that you've probably had in the past we've talked a little bit about that and I wondered if you've like ever felt like you like someone was making love to you like have you ever have you ever had a sexual encounter that was just like soft and loving and not like rambunctious and fun and amazing but Mm -hmm. like it's like have you ever had like a soft and tender encounter no which is sad yes (laughs) but back then I didn't know that's what I even needed I didn't even think that was a possibility. Well, I think my my thought, I assumed that would probably be the case based on, based on what I know about your past. And I wondered how you would feel about it. Like, how would it make you feel? Would it make you feel, like, a little bit panicky at first, maybe? Putting myself in your shoes, which is not, like totally a thing (laughs) but you know I try to imagine like if that's never been something and I to go back a little bit I would say I haven't I I have had times that weren't sweet or whatever but I don't know more than maybe once or twice that I felt like I was like making love with someone Mm -hmm. or having like a tender emotional experience that wasn't I was more connection-driven versus, like, hormones Mm -hmm. and attraction. But I wondered if, like, because you are used to sex having to be a certain way for the people that you've been with in the past, like, would it, like, freak you out at first, maybe? Feeling like, I'm not doing this right because it's not, you know, we're not, like fucking against the wall or whatever you know we're like laying down somewhere and like making eye contact and like it's Mm. maybe there's soft music and stuff and maybe you know that wouldn't be a thing that you end up enjoying like maybe you're like you know it was nice or whatever to try but I think if I'm really gonna enjoy sex like the old way will do or you know like (laughs) 
that's a possibility too. Or the emotional, I don't imagine that will happen, but I did wonder if there would be like a little bit of an adjustment required to relax into that kind of dynamic that's very like vulnerable. Very intimate. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting to try. What do you think? I think I would enjoy that. Sex for me before you wasn't necessarily an intimate experience. Um, I thought it was. It's, it makes sense that it would be, but it sex isn't like necessarily inherently emotionally intimate. Mm-hmm. I haven't really had sex that felt connective. I just believed that I think with all of my past experiences with sex and attraction and also toxic purity culture in the back of my mind the whole time I believed that in order to be desirable or seen as worthy in order to be chosen you kind of have to like placate the male fantasy Mm -hmm. play into what they think is hot or sexy or whatever and when you're me and you're not the European beauty standard. You're not seen as soft and tender when you're a dark-skinned black woman. You're not seen as something to be, like, protected or kept safe or be gentle with. You're kind of seen as the object of a fetish. You're hyper-masculinized. You're, you're hyper-sexualized. And so when I've entered into sexual relationships with men in the past, specifically white men, a lot of them are coming into the situation with that in the back of their mind, that stereotypically you're hypersexual. Mm-hmm. You're like, they think of like rap video vixen type mm-hmm. chick. Soft and tender and intimate's like not a thing. And I thought that that fetish visual that I'm usually, I feel like I'm being looked at through that lens that sort of shaped how, that kind of shaped how I approach sex with men. Then I need to be extra and super enthusiastic and mm-hmm. fake a lot of shit. Faked a lot of orgasms throughout my life. I know. I thought I was doing the right thing. I mean, I think we all, like, I can't speak for every AFAB person, but I feel like we're generally raised to appeal to the male gaze and so we twist ourselves into whatever that's going to be yeah you know I remember desperately liking a guy and it wasn't because I was attracted to him I know that now it was because I had I wanted him to like me because Mm -hmm. that's what I felt like I needed to do was make guys like me because I was supposed to grow up and get married and have kids and Mm -hmm. if I wasn't desirable then I was doing it wrong and so I I think it'd be really interesting to see how it feels to do that differently with you because I feel like the sex that we have had thus far is connective in that I feel really open with you and I feel like there's a lot of like joy and release in it so it's different for me already in that way Mm -hmm. and I but I have wondered at times like is it that way because you feel like it has to be that way 
or it's only ever been that way for you. Like, that's all you know. And I think it's kind of an interesting, like, tie-in when we talked about, like, what we wanted to talk about today. And you said love, and I said pleasure. And I've, you know, I've been thinking about pleasure and the nature of it and how people feel about it. The idea of it, like... Did we talk about the Rise of the Guardians movie? Mm-hmm. So it's like all the it's it's kind of old now. It's sweet. It's a it's a family movie, and the main character is Jack Frost, and he's tapped to be part of the Guardians of the kids, basically believing in magic, and it's you know Santa and the Easter Bunny and. Um, the Tooth Fairy, and they all have, like, a purpose, right? He spends the whole movie trying to piece together memories from when he was alive because it turns out he's, like, Jack Frost is, like, a... He used to be alive, and he drowned, like, in a frozen pond. And at first he feels like, you know, looking back at his life, he was just kind of always screwing around like a lot of his memories are him like joking around with people or like teasing you know and just being silly and he feels like what what do I have to offer as a guardian like what is my quality that is so important that I have to offer and I'm gonna spoil it but because it's my point his quality ends up being joy Mm. And I love that because he brings joy to people. And that is so important. I mean, especially when we live in a freaking dumpster fire of a world, the ability to bring joy, to me, joy is pleasure. Mm. I think a lot of people dismiss it as like icing on the cake or whatever, or like something that's not a necessary part of life. And something that helps you feel connected. And so when I think about how I like to be of service and I look at the things, the ways that I like to express my care for people, making them food, I feel like my quality is pleasure, Mm. but not frivolous. It's not frivolous. It's, it's, It's wanting to provide something that someone else needs like you need a space to feel connected and cherished and I want to give that to you like I want to give you a space where you are treated so tenderly that you like don't even know what to do with yourself (laughs) you know like I want to feed you I want to feed your belly but I want to feed like your soul too you know and I want to that's what I want to do for people. I don't want to like have sex with everyone, but I want to like, when I think about, you know, writing erotica, I used to think I had to be like a serious author, you know, I'd write literature about some man somewhere. Like one of my most successful short stories is about, is just like a classically gross dude. And anyway, To be able to write, I felt like I had to do something that was, you know, that was weighty and academic and had some sort of, like, heft to it to legitimize me. Mm. And the idea of, like, writing romance or 
erotica or just downright smut really felt like something that I dismissed as frivolous writing. But when I think about it now, I think about how writing, I grew up reading romance novels, the way that they were written, you know, so many of those relationship dynamics are toxic as hell. But like, there's also the candy of it, the brain candy of like, you've had a tough day and now you're going to go read something that's fun. Mm. There's value in that. And so when I think about writing erotica or even downright smut, which I think I would probably feel very at home doing. (laughs) Um, Like, I think about how I could do it in a way that felt like I wasn't representing and perpetuating toxic relationship dynamics. Like, I could incorporate things like consent and show how consent can be sexy and be connective and something that feels like you then can build trust with your partner or partners. Pleasure is a way for me to show my care for people. I don't think I've seen sex as pleasurable until... I haven't experienced sex as a pleasurable thing until really, really recently, which is kind of sad, but I think that's the experience for a lot of like late-in-life queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, late diagnosed autistic people because so much of our experience especially with those two things so much of our life experience is just masking and pretending and conforming and trying to be what we're not in order to make people like us in order to be socially safe and emotionally safe and to accomplish all the things that society says that we're supposed to accomplish like getting the good job meeting the guy being picked getting married, having the kids. That's what society says that women are supposed to do. It's just that women are supposed to do. Yeah. And I used to think that love was seeing a guy that you want to want you and then doing all the things you think you're supposed to do to accomplish that goal of getting him to want you back. Mm-hmm. And then when something falls out of place... And it's not reciprocated in the way that you think it's supposed to be reciprocated. Then you're, like, triggered to do more. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe if I make myself more available. Mm -hmm. Maybe if I do more of what I think he likes. Maybe if I love him more, then I'll elicit the response that I need to feel secure. And that yearning for, for wanting something that they're not giving you and then wanting them more, you think that's, like, passion. You think that's love, like love's supposed to like be achy and hurt and never quite be fulfilling. Not comfortable. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people in teens and 20s especially think that love has to be passionate for it to be real. But, you know, the older you get, the more you realize, I feel like, You know, the relationships that are really, really valuable are the ones that you aren't activated. Your nervous system isn't activated. Where you feel like 
seen and heard and respected. You don't feel like you have to worry when they go out if they're going to do something that's going to be hurtful to you. Mm -hmm. Like, you can say, like, hey, have fun with your friends. I hope you have a great night. I love you. Send me pictures if you feel like it because I want to see you having fun. Not because I want to know where you are and prove that you're there and blah, blah, blah. I want to see your cute, like, look that you put together to go to the concert or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Not because I want to make sure that you're there. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I've gone out with girlfriends in the past. And they're on their phone like, my boyfriend thinks I'm cheating on him because I'm out with you. Like, it's girls' night. Why does he... Well, now. I'm like, I've seen <laughs> some pictures of you in the past before you figured out. And I was like, well, you looked like a fucking hot as hell lesbian <laughs> babe. Like, Well, now we know. Maybe I was a threat. But... <laughs> Nothing gave me more of an ick than being out with a group of girls and half of them are arguing with their boyfriends the entire night out. Their medium ugly boyfriend. Their medium ugly brunette boyfriend. (laughs) My medium ugly brunette boyfriend. No. Uh. Your very cute brunette boyfriend. But they would look at that like, oh, look at him being so controlling and terrible. He loves me. He's so worried that I'm going to cheat on him. He loves me so much. Let me ask my boyfriend permission to go to brunch because he might get worried if I'm spending every second with him. And all the other girls are like, oh, he loves me so much. I'm like, he sounds like a fucking prison warden. What are you doing? You can't spend an hour off your phone because he's going to get mad. Like, back when I was doing lashes. I don't know if you ever had your lashes done. I have not. Well. (laughs) That was never a (laughs) personal priority for me. Well, it is for a lot of people. And it's something that takes, like, a full set. Your first set takes, like, two hours or more to do. And then you come back every two weeks to get them filled in, which is like another hour or so. And I've had lash clients come in and their phone's going off 15 minutes into a two-hour appointment. Their eyes are taped shut and they're like, it's my boyfriend. I have to, I have to tell him that I'm still getting my lashes done. Can you, can you text my boyfriend and tell him that I'm just getting my lashes done? It's like, wait a minute. First of all, no, I'm not going to text your boyfriend back for you. <laughs> I have a job to do. Tell him a lash appointment takes some fucking time. Like, why is he blowing up your phone when you're getting your lashes done? He thinks you're fucking someone right now? Like, and so many women normalize that kind of behavior as love. And when I was younger and dating and dudes didn't give a fuck what I was doing, I'd be like, oh, I wish I had a controlling boyfriend. (laughs) Because that means they really love me if they care about what I'm doing every second of the day. So I'd never been in a relationship like that. And I thought, like, oh, well, maybe the person I'm with just doesn't love me because they're not worried that I'm going to go anywhere or do anything. I, I wonder, like, if there's... Because when there's that narrative, right, there's, the, there's also that narrative, like, for the men. So, mm-hmm. like, if you want to show that you care about her, you have to be fucking up her ass all day long checking what she's doing. Because if she doesn't think that you're jealous, then she's not going to think that you care. For, like, mm-hmm. not to say that's, like, the case with every guy. Right. But, like, if we're conditioned to think that that's love, so are they. So, 
I feel like for every dude that's just naturally jealous and like that, there's probably another just totally fucking misguided dude out there who's like, this is how I show that I care is by. And so then you have to think about if if they left you alone, maybe they were ambivalent because they weren't up your ass caring about where you were. Or maybe they were secure and that's great. But, you yeah. know. Yeah. But, like, yeah, it's it's really... I feel very fortunate that I haven't been in many relationships where I felt like I needed to worry. And I didn't feel like I needed to worry, actually. In any relationship, I did wonder, like, I would get jealous if I thought that maybe they thought someone else was cute or whatever but I never really felt like I had to like worry that they were going to cheat on me and so I guess for me I've never had you know as far as I know I've never been cheated on and I've never had someone like go through my phone or like my emails or anything like that and I wouldn't want to do that to someone else because honestly I feel like there are times when you're in a long-term relationship that you might want to vent about something that upset you Mm -hmm. to calm down and get your thoughts sorted before you approach the other person in a calmer state right you know so you might say something like sassy or whatever to your friend that you're processing with right that isn't meant for me to see And, you know, so, like, and I respect that privacy. That's not to say that, like, I'm doing that, you know. Yeah. But just, like, there are, I just think there's, there's got to be space in a healthy relationship for you to have your feelings and process them and for me to not be privy to every single thing. Yeah. And to let you come to me when you're ready to talk about something. Mm-hmm. Versus me trying to like snoop it out, like what's going on with you? Or I did go through a phone once. Was it my phone? <laughs> no. <laughs> I did go through a phone you once. Went through my Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was. It was after. No, it wasn't through. I didn't go through his phone. It was the day we broke up. And I, we were living in Austin, and I had found out that he had been cheating on me. We were engaged, and I found out he'd been cheating on me, and I left the state in a huff while he was at work. I didn't tell him that I found out. He knew I had suspicions, but once I confirmed it, I literally left the state like that afternoon while he was at work. So he came home to a bit of a mess, but... um. The weeks leading up to that, he had had some issues with his phone, and so he used my phone to log into his Gmail because he was applying for jobs at the time and needed to check his email. So he checked his email with my phone. So the day that I left him and I got back to Washington, I got back to my mom's, and I saw that he was still logged in, Gmail, on my phone. So I looked through his email and found all these posts that he had made on Craigslist looking for sex. He was posting on Craigslist looking for people to fuck while we were together. Like the whole time we were together because there was like dozens and dozens 
of these listings that he published to fucking Craigslist. Also, did he have respond- any responses? <laughs> a couple. A couple. I'm disappointed. And also, like, reaching out to listings of, like, sex workers on Craigslist and, like, messaging back and forth with them to meet up with them. And this is the time I was I was engaged to this person, living with this person. I was off birth control and we were trying for a baby, meaning we were having unprotected sex. Meanwhile, he was hooking up with sex workers on Craigslist. Oh my god. And then coming home to me. So that saying that like if you look you'll find something, like I'm I'm not proud that I looked through his email, but it was on my phone. It was just a click away. So I don't feel bad. But as far as like grabbing an ex a person's phone, grabbing a partner's phone and just snooping around, if I feel the urge to do that I'm in a real bad place, and I probably shouldn't be in that relationship. Yeah, that's a that's a sign for you. I don't want to be that person that want that gets the urge to grab my partner's phone. I don't want to look through my partner's phone because when you look, you find something. If you're looking for something, you'll find something to be pissed off about. Yeah, you talked to your ex girlfriend like five months ago on Instagram for like two seconds. Yeah, and as a Scorpio, that's a problem for me. <laughs> so I'd just rather not know. <laughs> yeah, I I think that space is important. I don't think you should be like processing by like calling your partner names and shit. I don't think like, you know, that. But I think that there are times like, because I... I have a little temper of my Mars and Scorpio if we want to talk about astrology. A little Leo temper. Got my little Leo temper with a little Mars and Scorpio on top of that. So I can get pretty hot, but I have a long fuse generally. But I, I've definitely had times where I just needed to like vent and then I was like in a calmer state that I could then approach the person and you know, deal with it in a better way. Because I've also had times where I just went off. And, like, when I was a teenager, man, I would salt the earth, poison the well, and burn all the bridges without looking back. And I usually did that with just being totally savage, like, with my words. I think the gays call it reading someone. (laughs) But anyway, I would just be awful in my anger and I didn't like that feeling like I the self-righteousness would feel really like heady and delicious in the moment but it doesn't last long it's so fleeting and then you're just like oh I I wrought so much destruction and so eventually I started to learn how to take my time before I respond to things and sometimes I unpack it and realize that the anger is really more of like something that was triggered or I was overstimulated and like it wasn't actually something that I needed to be upset about that's not all the time but sometimes you know being able to take that breath really can help me figure out that I'm not responding from a place that I think is actually valid in terms of pursuing 
beyond just realizing like I have feelings about it and I need to figure them out you know mm-hmm. but I've I've definitely never felt like I was shady in any of my relationships I don't know I don't I don't know what it's like to be cheated on thankfully it's a horrible feeling hey I, I mean I can only imagine especially when you know what's happening and you try to confront that person about it and they gaslight you and they fucking gaslight you about it until you're actually faced with like proof like with my ex-fiance I had suspicions but he made it seem like I was crazy I was paranoid and I was abusive to him for even thinking that that could be a possibility And then one night I was on my way home from work and there was a ton of traffic between work and home. So I would stop by our neighborhood bar and have a beer and just kind of sit and wait the traffic out for a while. Because it was usually like around happy hour time that I'd get off work. I'd have a beer and I would chit chat with the bartender for a bit and then come home later. And he had like kind of a late job. So I wasn't missing anything, not going home right away. So I went to our bar And one of his friends, not really a mutual friend of ours, but like an old friend of his, was at the bar. Bar's called Barfly, and she was kind of a barfly. Like, she was that person that no matter what time you walked into that bar, she was there and super drunk. And that night, she was there and super drunk. And she came up to me, and she was kind of like, she got kind of teary-eyed, and she like stumbled over to me. And she asked me how I was doing. She asked me how work was. She asked me how my fiance was. And then proceeded to tell me that she had just slept with him the night before. And they had been sleeping together the entire time we were dating. And that he would talk shit about me to her. And he told her that he wished that he were with someone smarter. And I mean, that kind of rocked my world to find that out and somehow I kept my cool the whole night I went home pretended like nothing happened he got home from work pretended like nothing happened and then like the next afternoon I dipped packed up all my stuff and dipped and you know did a couple Scorpio things on the way out because did some shit I did some shit petty 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 shit I <laughs> I took half of his closet of clothes to the dry cleaner, so he would have to pay like a couple hundred dollars to get it all out. And I cut all the crotches out of all of his pants and all the sleeves off of all of his shirts. And I cut all the crotches out of his boxers. Like, I took my time. <laughs> I just feel like I'm seeing like a Regina George moment where he just like went home and like put them on and shrugged and just like walked around like <laughs> with, with balls hanging out of his pants. <laughs> Like, I turned all his dress pants into, like, like, I cut them into shorts and then... Fringe. Fringe. I fringed them all. (laughs) Like, I... My hand hurt after, like, all of the cutting. I took my time. It was very therapeutic. I got to sort of regulate while doing all the scissor work. I cut all the power cords to all of his electronics. And I left. I did not feel bad about it. And then when I got home, I checked the email and, like, saw he was fucking prostitute. So do I feel bad? No. I feel like I could have done worse, but I didn't. And he had perfectly fine clothes at the dry cleaner. So, <laughs> not bad. 
But that, as far as like bad behavior goes, it was like probably the worst thing I've ever done. Was trap up all this shit. How but, do you feel like you would handle something like that now? If I feel like I'm being cheated on, and I confront the person with that, and they tell me no, and I still feel like that, I would exit the relationship. Because why do I feel like that? Right. And if what you're saying isn't making me feel better, then that's something with me that I need to go work on. So I would bow out of the relationship. Whether the cheating was happening or not, if I felt that icky about it, then I need to go work on myself. I feel like that that's how I feel about how I would exit a relationship that I felt like wasn't going respectfully or whatever, you know. If I felt like I wasn't happy for whatever reason i feel like at this point in my life i know better to just exit when that feeling comes up Mm -hmm. and if you've tried to figure it out and it's just like that then you just kind of have to move on instead of torturing yourself and potentially the other person you don't want to do struggle love anymore it's so romanticized to just like stay and work it out just stay and like maybe if you're married with kids then maybe you tough out the really really rocky parts and you really try to make it work but even then like divorce is a thing so i mean when you are married with young children and you're well i can speak from experience here um i met my husband when i was 21 and we got pregnant pretty quickly because we were both on the same page of like we're gonna get married and have kids and blah 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 so we were just doing that you know doing the thing and so I had my first baby when I was 22 and and then I got pregnant again and then you know four years later I got pregnant again and I was struggling with not wanting to have sex with him and you know he confronted me like tried to give me an ultimatum that if we didn't work on if I didn't work on having sex with him more he was gonna go get a girlfriend and um and he said and we will do anal (laughs) and I remember being like you can't make someone do a sex act that they don't want to do god like because you want that as like the only way you're gonna stay in the relationship like is how it- could you enjoy that if your partner doesn't enjoy it why would you even want it if your partner doesn't want it because for some guys they're like used to it just being like she's just lying back and thinking of king and country or fucking whatever you know like she's not gonna like it but she'll do it like for my birthday right like it's my birthday blowjob or like my birthday anal things that i feel like there are guys out there who've been conditioned to think and women too Mm -hmm. and in between because i gotta rep the nbs as well um who think that like sometimes this actually happened when i was reading fanfic okay And there was a scene where one of the characters was pregnant and their partner wanted to have sex. And they did, even though the pregnant partner was just kind of like, they consented, right? Like, they said yes. 
verbally and everything, Mm -hmm. but they were uncomfortable. They were, like, heavily pregnant, so Mm -hmm. they were uncomfortable, but they were like, I'm just doing it for my, you know, my husband. And I remember the comments in that chapter and how people were processing, like, that's rape. Even if, like, there was consent there, like, the person clearly wasn't enthusiastic about it. Mm -hmm. And I remember being married and young and still thinking I was straight and everything at the time and and kind of being, like, seeing that gray area of, like, yeah, you know, sometimes you don't, you're not really in the mood, but you say, you know, yes anyway just because, like, they are. Mm-hmm. And you are, like, throwing them a bone, literally. And just that that conversation of like enthusiastic consent versus like consenting where you're you know like you are you're literally saying yes and you're willing to do it but you're not into it mm-hmm. like as as a service top like I would that would not fly for me like if my partner was like I mean okay or whatever Mm -hmm. like yeah we can do it because you're in the mood like I would be like no fuck that like never mind like that's not and not in like a rude way but just like I don't that's not gonna be fun for me like Mm -hmm. so I think it's gonna be interesting the longer we're together to see how how much more you unmask or unlearn dynamics that up until me you've been living in in relationships with men and this dynamic is already different because I was socialized female you know mm-hmm. and I didn't come out until my late 20s so I already did the like the mother and wife thing mm-hmm. I did all the stuff that I thought that I was supposed to do and I've had a couple queer relationships now, so I know a, a bit of a different dynamic, you yeah, know? a whole queer marriage. I had a whole queer marriage, and it was interesting to unpack that dynamic as well, because she very much came in with this, like, what I'm supposed to do as a wife and mother thing, and it was really intense, because she was raised with a very controlling we now know like anxiety like ADHD like that was how she coped parent Mm -hmm. basically was to be like clean freak and just very controlling and so that's how she was my wife was um and and I saw it as like a generational thing I saw that it was it was her enacting her role that she thought she had to inhabit like she has to do this and this and this and if she's not then she's failing and Mm -hmm. it was really interesting because I did also feel like at times there was like a power struggle between who was doing what because like I would be like no that's my role Mm -hmm. when you're two AFAB people parenting sometimes that can be a thing like and we know that you can just share the load right but when you're conditioned to be like I'm the mother and I do these things and Mm. if I'm stepping aside and letting someone else do it like there's a rebound kind of effect of like feeling bad yeah like when you come over and do my dishes and I'm like I am grateful and I and it does make it easier for me to like then cook dinner or whatever but I still will feel bad 
because I feel like I'm supposed to be the one keeping the kitchen clean. I'm supposed to be the one doing X, Y, Z, or I'm failing. And it's something that I still am unpacking. So I just think it'll be interesting as we are together to see how we both continue to unlearn those kinds of dynamics because you don't have to be a certain way in a relationship. Yeah, I'm learning that like as my first queer relationship, I'm learning really quickly that there are no rules. There are no rules and there are no there are no hard and fast roles either. Right. I'm the passenger prince X. <laughs> prince. Literally, I do the driving. <laughs> you are the passenger. Yep. And in I past hate rela- driving. <laughs> and in past relationships, it was like I dated guys that would not let me drive. Not because they were being chivalrous, but because they thought, oh, stupid girl driving, I'm a better driver just because I have a dick, kind of thing. Like, it wasn't like I was passenger princess. They did not trust me to drive. Did they steer with their penis? <laughs> did they break no with their balls? <laughs> like, what? You know, like, it was yeah. definitely not a, like, no, babe, let me drive. It was like, I'm a better driver because I have a dick kind of thing. Like, gifting, that's a love language of mine. And in relationships with men, they're, like, weird about receiving gifts. They, I've never dated a guy that, like, took a gift, like, a random gift well. Christmas, birthday, sure. But just like, a, I was just thinking of you at this store and I knew you'd like this thing. Like, initially, like, oh, that was nice. But then they get fucking weird about it. Like, I'm doing it to get something in return or I did it out of pettiness to guilt them for not getting me something thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Really just emasculating them in some way or like doing too much or this is getting too serious or something like that. And with you, like, I randomly get you stuff whenever I think about it. I get you flowers and you're not like weird about it. <laughs> I like giving you flowers too. I like receiving flowers. I like that I can get you stuff. And it's not like a, a gendered thing. I just, I like getting you stuff sometimes. As a gift giver as well, like, that's another way that I show people that I care. Like, I was thinking about you when I saw this. I thought you would like it. And maybe I don't always nail it, but I feel like if you, if that's the way that you show you care, it doesn't have to mean anything. But I think, you know, to go back to, like, prescribed roles makes sense to me that a guy would be thrown off by a random gift because we have so much of our roles defined as like you know you give her flowers if it's a holiday or you fucked up Mm -hmm. like if if she is expressing displeasure it's got to be uh passive aggressive so if she gets you a present then maybe she is saying like you haven't been giving me presents you know so maybe that kind of thing does happen where they are genuinely like this isn't part of my programming what do I do Mm. I don't know and like you know some guys yeah they roll with it not everybody is the same but I Mm -hmm. think generally speaking it makes sense to me that as someone who's kind of been almost in and out of both kinds of roles in a way you know being the boyfriend I felt like that with my first queer relationship, actually. I felt like I was I was inhabiting the boyfriend role. Mm. And that was very much about, like, giving gifts and 
taking her out and doing stuff, spending money, and... Killing the bugs? No, I think... That's a boyfriend thing. I think she killed the bugs. But she was also totally, like, an entirely way more capable than I (laughs) ever... (laughs) Um, like, handy femme. Like, she could, she could just, like, build shit. Like, she built a porch swing from a pile of lumber. And I was like, that's rad. Like, (laughs) people who can just, like, do stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, she would totally do that. And she could probably do it in, like, a mini skirt. And, like, no sweat. And I have always loved that about femmes. Just, like, how it's just, there's so much capability there so much of an energy of like i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna do it in heels and fuck you you know (laughs) or like not that every femme wears heels you know but i think like i especially love the high femmes who who embrace that i love the the duality of like a high femme who is just totally you know hair nails lashes makeup totally full on everything and then also she's like nailing it in all these other competent ways and people in ways that people totally would underestimate just Mm -hmm. by looking at her Mm -hmm. or them because femmes can be thems as well Mm -hmm. um (laughs) so i love that I love when people can show people up that way. Like, I love pink and I can fucking best you at, like, a coding situation. Or (laughs) I know all this and you don't. You thought that I didn't know anything because I wear pink or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that shit. I think being with you has helped me to explore my femininity explore it and maybe question it a little bit more than I ever have mm-hmm. like I've always had to be like a very capable very competent woman mm-hmm. because of how I was raised I was raised by that example yeah my father was around you know about him trash he was around all the time was he helpful was he contributing to the health and well-being of the family No, he was draining from it and, like, terrible person. But that was my example of, like, mom and dad. Mom carries the weight of the world on her back, and dad shows up like a tornado, gets dinner, and hogs the TV and leaves. (laughs) So I've had to learn. I was a latchkey kid, too, so I've, I've always had to do a lot for myself the whole time from childhood up. And, like, that's not a feminine thing. Hatchkey kid. Hatchkey kids. Nickelodeon raised us. <laughs> kids Incorporated and the MMC. Did you watch those? Did you watch Kids Incorporated? I don't want to derail your thing. I just was... Because Latchkey Kid just made yeah. me remember. The Keytar. <sighs> I wasn't into Mickey Mouse Club. I thought it was a little corny for me. Even Emerald Cove, the... (laughs) Did you ever see that? It was like the soap opera embedded in... in Listen. Listen. JC and Justin. Shazze. Shazze. JC. Shazze. (laughs) 
I couldn't get into Mickey Mouse Club. I just couldn't. I watched Ghost Rider after school. Yes. And all that. And all that. Sometimes there was a really dramatic after school special that I would watch about, like, don't get pregnant in high school. Don't bully. Don't get bulimia. <laughs> that was another one. <laughs> don't get raped. Yeah, don't yeah. get raped. Don't get beaten up. Thanks, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. <laughs> yeah, that's how I grew up. Same. Very capable. I had to learn how to do shit on my own. One thing I never learned how to do is kill bugs, but I think I'm doing all right. All things considered, I think I'm doing all right. I've been trying, you know, well, my kid has some arachnophobia, so I do at times have to kill spiders, and I feel bad about it, honestly. I can tell, because I'll point to a spider, and you'll just, like, watch it until it, like, leaves, and I'm like... I'm, like, kind of mentally, like, trying to vibe it away. I'm like, dude, come on. I don't want to kill you. (laughs) I need you to kill it, and you'll just watch it, and I'm looking at you, and you're looking at it, and I'm like, you're just going to let it just hang out until it wants to leave. I need you to punish it. Punish it. (laughs) Forever darkening the doorstep. It needs to rue the day it ever walked in here. You can just happily watch it crawl out. I'm like, look, you need to leave. Just, you know, go back to your hidey hole. Because, honestly... I'm like, nuke the hidey hole. Like, don't let it go back there until it's friends. I don't want... I don't want spiders in the house, you know? And I don't really want them. But I read the poem, man. Listen. I... I saw Charlotte's Web. Do you think I give a fuck about her? No. I am not talking about Charlotte's Web. I'm talking about the notion of killing something small and way less or way more vulnerable. You know, it's like this inch big and I'm... Some of them are this big. Okay, I heard this. Okay, but we haven't had any of those hand-sized spiders in Washington that I know of. Have you heard of a wolf spider or a hobo spider? I've seen some, like, that are, like, with legs, like, that big. Okay, I've seen the palm-sized ones. No joke. Almost threw up. It was so awful. I believe that that would be very terrifying. But you just watch it. We just let it saunter out the door. Well, here's the thing, right? <laughs> if you kill it, then you... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you like, I also okay. have horrible emetophobia, so you gag, I gag. I can't do it. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it would definitely, I think if it was that big and whatever, I think the safest thing for her... Uh, for just move out. Me, well, yeah. I would just leave. Out. Just leave. Um, no, I would say, like, I got, like, a tickle on my foot. And I'm like, ah, but it wasn't. It was just imagination. Just my imagination. Anyway. Uh, I think a vacuum with the hose extension, for sure. But then it's just in the vacuum. And then you take the vacuum outside. And then you just let it free? If it's not dead. Right. I'm not gonna squish a hand-sized spider. I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> 
it's like also what if I miss? Yeah. <laughs> like it's mad and crawling. Yeah, and I'm, like, I'm skittering around now. Skittering. Skittering. Oh. The skitter. Have you seen the jumping ones? Mm. Oh! I've seen like the little bitty bitty ones that like are actually I think kind of cute. Like they'll they look like they're dancing with their little legs cute? and stuff. They're cute? on screen when I see them. They're not in my life. They're just on screen. And they look like a freaking Pixar spider. I keep sending you the links to those electromagnetic pest repeller things so that spiders just don't even come in. And you keep not ordering it. (laughs) So, (laughs) I'm going to need you to order those, please. (laughs) I will order them. (laughs) We can go pick some up. I don't know where they are other than Amazon, but... Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. We'll we'll do it. (sighs) We totally took a side quest there on the spiders. 